Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled Holistic Interconnections, and we're talking with Renaissance gamer Rowan Kaiser. In our pop culture segment today, some people see their pets as their children. Do some of us see video games as our pets? We also share your responses to this week's Twitter question. What compromises do you make when you can't design your own avatar? Does it impact how you interact with a game? So stay tuned, and we're so glad you're listening to Game Worker. Today in pop culture, we talk about an article in the New York Times written by Chris Sulentrop, titled, Joystick or Leash? It's All About Love. Sulentrop describes dog ownership like a bad video game with scatological collectibles and a poor response to commands. But the tedium and repetition are binding medium. He says, video games aren't great with character, but they do companionship surprisingly well. Regina, I know you're a pet owner. Do do you identify with Sulentrope's article? Definitely, most definitely. I can I can very much see um, feeding and tending to to my cats, who I affectionately call my girls, um, as as the same. You know, it's it's not to you know draw too direct connections, but it is very much a Sims sort of exper- experience, right? Making sure they're fed and watered and. Um, and uh, producing and 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 sleeping and and behaving as they should be is definitely. <laughs> you can see the repetition in you know running your daily quests as you might in a in an MMO uh, with pet ownership as well. Is the repetition kind of a, a mastery thing? It could be to a degree, sure. Um, you know, I have um, one of my cats. Jasmine is uh, she's fifteen. And, mm, my goodness! Yeah, and she's a she's a, a purebred Seal Point Siamese. Um, I won't I won't litter the website with pictures, but um, if people are interested and they want to see her, I'll I'll definitely post some some pictures for you. Um, but you know, she's she's geriatric. Fifteen is you know pushing the the, the higher end for for you know lifespan for cats. Oh right. Yeah. She's you know she's coming up against those those older health issues now, and so it's a, it's a big game for me now to sort of. <laughs> keep her engaged eating the food I have to give her <laughs> yeah because she's on a very restricted diet and um as the vet said to me just recently you know the food that we give her is very bland <laughs> yeah and so I've been trying to make it like slightly more tempting and she's got arthritis you know she's just she's just an old cat and so I tried to give her some um I tried to put uh, fish oil on it like a you know yeah. oil from mm-hmm. a fish oil capsule to try to entice her a little bit more to eat it and she's like I don't know what you think you're doing woman but this is not working yeah <laughs> so my my um you know my points for 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 that day for for cat for jasmine certainly went down <laughs> satisfaction nil <laughs> well i know a, f- a friend of mine who is very attracted to repetition or collection type games and anything like um i can't even think of the names of them i know I'm not sure whether Farmville was one of them, but there was a farming app. There was a there was a, a sushi app, mm-hmm. and I mean this is this girl would create multiple accounts, yep. and so that she could harvest over time. And collection type things are just her thing. Also, animals, right? 
And the attention to both of these, and, and now that I think of it, I don't feel like that any way she is a mastery player at all, actually. But it is the dedication to those accomplishments, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That kind of makes me think of that. Yeah, yeah, to to, to having everything. Um, that, that was very popular, is very popular in World of Warcraft to um, to collect pets, um, vanity pets. Yes. Very much to the, to the point where people will, you know, are seeking out the achievements and seek out because some achievements give you the opportunity to get a pet. Like there's, um, there was one for the guild where you had to kill an, a number, you know, an outrageous, like 50,000 um, uh, creatures um, in the, in the game, which are not, you know, things that you fight in the game. They're just like squirrels or chickens or whatnot that are like running around the environment and you can kill them. And once you once your guild kills, you know, 50,000 of them, you guys can buy this, you know, armadillo, I think it was. So, so people were setting up macros to, <laughs> oh my goodness, to stand around in, in places where there were lots of, of uh, these creatures and kill them so that we could finally get that achievement <laughs> to get that pet. <laughs> so given say given that situation what one of the the key word here that that Trope seems to use is companionship mm-hmm. how would you akin any video game that you've played to companionship well i would i would do it the same way i do the the characters that i appreciate in any story medium any of them, video games, novels, movies, you know, TV shows, you know, I attach to the characters that I'm engaging with. And so I think that, that that's the same kind of, you know, they provide a sense of, of companionship to me, jumping into a novel, you know, engaging in mm-hmm. a story, yeah. finding out what happens to this character that I like or this character that I don't like, you know, that's a certain level of companionship of caring. And then you take their experiences with you as, you know, as you go through your life, you think about, or, you know, tie back to maybe some of the experiences you've read or seen or played. And, it, and it's the same thing. So, so they, com- they, you know, games provide that same kind of pa- companionship, that same kind of, you know, uh, somebody who's there for you. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and you go, I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes we go back to some of the games that we love because of the companionship they've been providing. And, of course, pets, as he's, you know, talking about in the article, pets do the same thing for you as well well yeah and all of that's unconditional exactly and it's anytime you want to pick it up and and oh i mean you know and and pets might you know like they he also makes the as you pointed out in the question he also makes the comparison to you know uh, having a dog as being you know uh, training for having children as well you know getting used to having those mundane tasks that you must take care of and you can't not ever you know leave them aside maybe that's one of the reasons why people get so locked into some of the games that they play because they feel that that connection and that companionship from the game it's there it's there for you i know that there there have been particular times even uh we we had a couple of dogs and unfortunately we're without them now but i have found times where incredibly frustrated or uh, irritated with the human beings that are around me (laughs) and I will sit down and play dead nation and feel just the world better (laughs) because I'm in in control of my situation. I'm able to be 
aggressive, believe right. it or not, I believe in a healthy way. Yes. And at the same time, um, get relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've felt the same way with, you know, my brain's not working in this area. I don't feel like reading. There's right. nothing on television. And I just want to feel comfortable. Right. And sometimes it's an environment. Right. Well, I, 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 that's one of the reasons why I continue to go back to um, Plants vs. Zombies. Because I, yeah. I, I can go in and then I can try new things and I can, you know, set it up. I can set up my defenses differently. And there's not a whole lot of risk and I'm not playing with anybody else. So I'm not, you know, worried about, you know, how that's going or the difficulty of getting a group together and appeasing a bunch of other people, which is a lot of what I end up doing in, you know, in my offline life a lot of the time. So this, this way I get to, you know, you can go in and you can just sort of focus on something that's manageable and doable and, 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 and let it go when you're done. <laughs> yeah. And I think that just like anything, I mean, that the question might come up and, and some people might not understand an inanimate thing, mm-hmm. a thing actually that is powered by electricity and that can be turned off, that um, is not living, that it could be described as companionship. Mm-hmm. But I think anything can be taken to an unhealthy level. Sure. And so you can make the argument for that. Right. But besides that, I, I think that it's a place to go. I right. mean, I think it's a valid a valid response. It's a valid medium. Exactly. Um, you know, not everybody can own cats and dogs. Right, Ex- exactly, that too. And I think that's one of the reasons why those games um, – are so tempting those social games where you're managing your farm or you know whatever else you know they're not mm-hmm. things that you're doing in in your real life and maybe if you don't have an opportunity to have a pet it's a way for you to have that same experience yeah there's just to me there's nothing quite like pet ownership even you know even as a precursor to having children if that's right. the way you want to want to look at right. it but the unconditional response of an animal like that teaches you things about human nature even right yeah and about who you are and who you are in response to them and all that stuff even more importantly yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly but also one other observation i want to make about this you know is our sort of pop culture you know observation the new york times is talking about this this is another example of gamification as well and sort of taking taking everyday life and, and applying game um, ideas and concepts to it. And so I, I think that's a really kind of delightful idea that, you know, the New York Times sort of wrote this. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's in the gaming section. The, um, yeah, the technology. Cylantrope is actually a, a writer, a game reviewer in their art section. Yep. And... I like the balance that they've taken on the subject matter. Exactly, exactly. It's a nice, and it's a nice way to look at, you know, to combine what aspects of, of, of play in, in multiple, multiple areas. Because really that is what, when we're talking about gaming and we're talking about what people are doing, we're talking about the ways that they choose to enjoy themselves. Well, if our listeners would like to provide any feedback as far as your companionship with your video games or your pets, you can leave your comments on our website at GameOnGirl.com, through Twitter at Game underscore on underscore girl. You can email Regina at GameOnGirl.com or look for us on Facebook, Game on Girl Podcast. 
Coming up, we talk to writer and editor Rowan Kaiser. You're listening to Game On Girl. I'm Regina, and I'm here with my co-host, Rhonda. Later on in the show, we're going to share your response to, response to this week's Twitter question. But now, let me introduce our guests for today's show. Game On Girl welcomes freelance pop culture critic Rowan Kaiser to the show. Rowan is a staff writer for the AV Club, where he writes about television and literature. He also writes about video games for various publications and his own website, renaissancegamer.blogspot.com. We've previously mentioned one of his articles, Hardcore Maleness, which helped inform our discussion about the definitions of hardcore and casual gamers. Welcome to the show, Rowan. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're glad you're here. Thanks for being here. So why don't you give us a little history and uh, tell us a little bit about your gaming background? Which Um, might be uh, long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From what I've read on his blog, he is the the best history that I've read so far of anybody we've interviewed. Fantastic. My parents got a computer for the household when I was six or seven, and it included Chess Master, so that was my first ever game. It was quickly followed up with Ms. (laughs) Pac-Man. Uh, and this was 1986 or 87 or so, right. and I mostly played computer games for a while until, um, well, I mean, I, I had some friends who had Nintendos and Super Nintendo, so I'd play those occasionally, but I mostly played computer games until I got a Genesis in the mid-90s, and that had uh, the Sega Channel, which was like a early cloud computing experiment where you would download like 40 or 50 Sega games every month, and they cycled through them. And through that, I ended up playing like most of the great Genesis games, even though I didn't know that they were at the time. Right, sure. But, you know, I would try most of them, and sometimes they would stick, and obviously those ended up being the best games. Yeah. After that, I I mean, I've continued being a PC gamer through all of this. That's a, a through line. And then I had an aunt who worked for PR for Psygnosis, I think, and she sent a PlayStation with a bunch of games, so that's how I got my second console. And at the time, also, emulation was getting bigger for computers, so I was able to play Super Nintendo and NES and uh, Sega Master System games with emulation that I had missed by being entirely on the computer. So mm-hmm. I managed to go back and get most of the history that I'd missed. And after that, I tended to try to be gaming literate and have <laughs> consoles that you know, I didn't keep all of them. I had a GameCube, or I had an Xbox for like two years, and then I traded it. But through that, I played a bunch of Halo and Halo 2. Right. So I I have played most of the, the big games and consoles, even if I haven't always owned all of them. Right. Do you prefer PC over console? Generally, yes. It depends on the kind of game, and especially if the game is optimized for PC or console. Um, there are lots that have kind of half-assed ports over to the PC that, like, I don't know, I've I've noticed a couple games that I've been playing in the past couple weeks where they don't even have quit buttons, like you're just supposed to press Alt-F4 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Assassin's Creed was one of those, like, you can press exit a few times, but you can't actually get to a main menu where you can click on exit game. You have to just shut it down manually. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's not very well thought out, especially for, you know, a mechanic that's sort of key. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, or there are games where, like, when you move the mouse, that moves the select button on the menu like you're using a uh, 
a joystick handle mm. instead of the mouse actually having a pointer where you click on things. Right. I, I see those kinds of things, and I think those are bad signs. But on the other hand, they're usually like a third as they cost a third as much on PC. So mm-hmm. you know. Well, let's uh, let's get started with Regina's uh, basic question. <laughs> The starter question is, uh, how would you define a gamer? A gamer is somebody who plays games. (laughs) That sounds like my definition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Can you elaborate a little bit on it for us? I mean, I think that if I try to make a definition like that exclusionary, then it ends up excluding people that I don't really want to exclude. Like, you know, my mom plays Bejeweled and sudoku and games like that on the computer regularly and is that like the ideal definition of a gamer who knows everything no but she plays those a lot right Uh, so i'm not going to say she's not a gamer she's just a different type of gamer than a lot of people would say right well i i would say the same thing about my mom as well who loves um you know, playing solitaire on the computer and with a card deck and sometimes we'll play yahtzee by herself just to you know keep her math skills up <laughs> so I, I but i'd still call her a gamer as well and we gamed you know growing up all the time so yeah i my mom is so cute she called me this past weekend and she said have you have you ever heard of this thing called angry birds <laughs> and i'm like yeah and she goes well I was playing it on my friend's iPad. I'd like to have that. <laughs> it's like she's told she's more like me than she thinks. She mm-hmm. she tends to think that I'm some sort of genius or something because I can yeah. use a computer. Oh, and she my, my she mom uses says the same thing. My mom says the same yeah. thing. She's like, "Oh, you have so much talent." I'm like, mm, "Yeah, that's not exactly." But she uses a computer, and she's. I mean, like I told you, she, I got her hooked on Plants vs Zombies, right. and and she plays games on the computer all the time. Right. Yeah, she's so cute. There was actually a reference to Angry Birds in a, a novel that I'm reading right now. <laughs> Whoa! And it's a it's a witchcraft like you know, sort of light romance. And uh, you know, she, the narrator said something along the lines of, "I don't know what they put in this game where you shoot like these birds at these angry pigs, but she's like, I'm pretty sure that there's some sort of spell involved in the programming." <laughs> dispelled everybody who's been yes. playing it. <laughs> exactly. I was like, wow, all right, this is interesting. So, Well, um, I noticed on here Regina was going to bring the subject up again of casual and hardcore gamers. What, what did you want to explore with uh, Rowan about that, Regina? Well, one of the really interesting things about the article that was the reason why I found Rowan in the first place, um, I don't even remember the chain of events that I came to read it, but I remember thinking... You know, oh, this is really sort of peripherally related to what I was talking about in my research, but that masculinity was associated with hardcore gaming and, you know, sort of casual gaming and the games that we term casual are, you know, usually more feminine or associated with femininity. So I wanted to take this opportunity since we have Rowan to kind of pick his brain about that idea. Yeah, exactly like what what precipitated the article. Was anything in particular? Um, just consistent discussions that I'd had, particularly in games, um, not necessarily about them, but the, the sort of language that people use to describe what makes players casual versus hardcore is almost always loaded with implicit insu- assumptions about like 
things that they care about, things that they prefer that are that go along with conventional definitions of masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. The hardcore gamer is logical and violent and all these things where the the casual gamer is a care bear who likes cartoons or you know if like if I'm playing World of Warcraft and I have my raid guild like more of the women who are in that guild are healers and they get called like healing care bears who aren't into the PvP or whatever and you know they're playing this game as much as anybody else they're as good at this game as Anybody else. Anybody else right. is, but they are... That skill are, set is looked at differently because of the skill set itself. Right. They're being called casual because they're not engaging in the masculine forms of dominance that um, the whoever is using that seems to be saying. And it, it's really kind of an absurd thing because people apply it to anything. Like, I played a, um, the Vietnam expansion for uh, Battlefield Bad Company 2 and there are people there who are talking about what they're expecting out of Battlefield 3. This was about a year ago before Battlefield 3 came out. And they're like, oh man, they're going to make this casual for Team Fortress 2 players. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, how on earth is this game less hardcore or more hardcore than Team Fortress 2? Like, they're the same things. Right. Like they're they're a bunch of people with guns running around attempting to do whatever objectives they're trying to do, and this is just people trying to prioritize their experience with this game that they prefer over another one. Right. I mean, Team Fortress Two has a kind of cartoony vibe, but I wouldn't call it a casual game in any no. in any respect that <laughs> I wouldn't call you know Battlefield a casual game. They're right. exactly within the same genre. Right. I, I would I've played Team Fortress too, so I know the sort of cartoon, you know, visuals that it has, but the, the gameplay does not feel that way at all. But <laughs> I was introduced to the series in Team Fortress Classic, which mm-hmm. didn't have the cartoony visuals and right. nor did the original Team Fortress, which is a, a Quake mod and used Quake models. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know that that sort of history counts for anything and, you know, random people complaining on the internet in their game. But uh, it just happens to have these slightly more cartoony models. But I don't even know if that's what they were talking about. Like, right. like They could just say it's a casual game because they prefer this game and they want to prioritize their own experiences. Right. So you think that that's sort of one – because that's one of the reasons why I've sort of avoided um, casual and hardcore terms. And I talked about this last episode was that – I felt like, you know, when people say casual gamer, it's a diss of some sort, you know, like you're disrespecting that person's play because it's not as serious or whatnot. So you really do think that that's part of the core of what's happening with those those terminologies, that, that people want their experience to be hardcore and therefore superior to casual. Right, and it's almost always also associated with certain masculine concepts, right. such as but, dominance, yeah. but... Um, also logic, violence, that kind of thing. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I was really interested in your article when you started talking about um, the when, when the terms are used and how they've been used and their origins. And I actually got very curious and started doing some research trying to figure out how far back this goes and trying to figure out what the evolution of the terms were. And... I really think your article kind of nailed it in just saying, who knows, you know, 
but the way that they're being used now that the, what what they've evolved into is what they are and you know depending on how we decide to use them is what we need to pay attention to and the thing about it is the gaming development industry is very has really clung on to these terms because they when they actually have their conferences they'll have a casual versus hardcore conference yeah so so they're actually using the terms to to yes. separate out well, the games the, the first time that i saw it was i had a subscription to computer gaming world through the 90s and i they they did this big like i don't know like how how do we talk about games as a business sort of feature one month? And one of the big distinctions that they had was casual versus hardcore gamers. And it was kind of like an insight into the mind of the people who are marketing these games. Right. And they had the, the casual gamers who, you know, occasionally played something for 10 hours every week or 10 hours or less every week versus the hardcore who played like 30 hours plus and spent a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know that that makes sense, and it's kind of a distinction. It still prioritizes certain um, concepts, particularly in the idea of hardcore, as in yet this idea of hardness as being something that's good, right? But and like, better. That's fairly understandable. Like you can break that down in a certain way, but it it after that, I started seeing it all over the place, and usually used as something that would exclude or. Um, demonstrate superior knowledge or just superiority in general, which was much less useful. Yeah, yeah, that's the same way. I the way I've seen it is is a sign of elitism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and exclusion and you know priority, like you had said, people are prioritizing their experiences through using these terms. I guess I'm not really sure. I, I can understand the need for the game industry to try to organize the experiences and the kinds of games that they're um, developing. But when it moves into the lexicon of gamers speak and how gamers are regarding each other, then it, then it starts to impact the culture and how it sees itself. And I've, I've seen it, I've heard, you know, oh my God, you know, there's a scene in the guild where, you know, they've lost Tink and they're trying to like pull everybody together and Vork says, you know, oh, you know, we might be called casuals and it's like the worst thing you can possibly be called. So, well, what about, um, avatar creation? That, that is sort of the, um, gateway question that Regina has (laughs) in, defining her gamer types and we were just wondering how you go about creating an avatar for an online game one of the things that i liked i just started playing the secret world and one of the things that i've noticed that i like to do is i like to just click the random button until i see something that kind of goes along with what i like (laughs) and then you know fiddle with it from there because i kind of get paralyzed if i get too many choices all at once (laughs) Oh, okay. That happens to me too. Rhonda can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, 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 this uh, this doesn't just apply to the the characters' mm-hmm. looks. It also is especially names. Like part of the reason that I got frustrated when I ever I attempted writing fiction was that I couldn't think of enough character names. Um, but in, in looks, there's much more of a, I don't know, a, an amorphous feel where you can click the random and eventually get something that kind of looks like something that you want. Um, so is the appearance very important to you for, for playing the game? 
generally, yes. Um, okay. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for what for what reason just, and in what ways is is what your <laughs> avatar looks like important to you? Yeah, that, that's why I paused because I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> well, do you I, play do right. you play strictly male avatars? Um, generally, I will start with female avatars and usually just kind of switch around after that, um, which often ends up with me playing most of the games with a male avatar because I like play, learn the the systems, learn the controls, learn all that, realize that I've done something that I didn't really want to do, and then switch genders on the next one. Mm. That's what happened with me with like Dragon Age. My first character was a female elf, and I made her like a a. Uh, um, a bow using fighter, which is by far the most useless combination of uh, skills in the game, and the game was incredibly difficult. I didn't want to do that anymore, so my next <laughs> character was a, a male dwarf who was a rogue, and that was a lot easier. So, um, as far as the gameplay, then, does the, the, the species and the, the skill set go into that decision for the avatar? Is that really important? Um, species isn't necessarily, that's almost always purely aesthetic. In a game like Dragon Age, um, it does affect how the story works. And I was told that the two most Mm. interesting stories were the city elf female and the dwarf noble story. So those were the two that I started with. Okay. Uh, But generally, it's almost entirely cosmetic. There might be some stat changes, but it's been a long time since there have been games where... Um, those stat changes are incredibly important. Usually it's just like a dwarf gets one skill where a, that you might use a couple times where a uh, elf will get a skill else, that right. you might use a couple times. Right. So as far as avatar development is concerned, what would draw you toward one game versus another in regards to their avatar setup? I don't think that I would be specifically drawn to a game that had some kind of better avatar construction versus Mm. the one that didn't. Okay. Um, It doesn't impact how you approach the game. It doesn't impact whether I want the game. Mm -hmm. It might impact how I approach the game once I start playing. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at a Mass Effect, having the female shepherd voice uh, seems to be a very different experience from the people who use the male shepherd voice. Um, So, like, I might have more fun hearing Jennifer Hale spout out her renegade lines and therefore pick that option more than I might have with the person who does the male lines. I haven't played with the male yet, but um, this is, you know, something that might affect how the avatar changes my game once I'm in it, but like it wasn't that that made me say, hey, I should play play this game. Yeah, I actually had a participant in my study who said that if the voice was at the end and she couldn't get a voice that matched what the avatar looked like, she would go back and redo her entire avatar until she could get it to match the voice that she wanted. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I noticed when I was doing, I think, Skyrim was that these games don't didn't put things in the order that you want them to have. Mm-hmm. Like, the first mm-hmm. thing they have is, like, facial structure, mm-hmm. when I don't think that facial structure is, like, anywhere near as important as body type and hair type in how you generally look at the avatar. So, like, once I have the body type and the hair type, then I'll work on the facial structure. And then the voice obviously goes along with that. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that I would switch that up entirely, but Mm -hmm. um, 
I do remember, especially games where you got to choose the voices, like uh, Baldur's Gate type games. Mm-hmm. That that could be an annoying process to try and combine the two in the proper way. I read a lot of the uh, past articles you had on your blog, and uh, in addition to the other article, and by the way, you're an extremely good writer. I was it, it was a pleasure to finally read somebody who's actually writing regularly on the internet that. I enjoyed reading for a change. That was really good. But it sounds to me like that you really strive for a balance in a game. You you don't necessarily lean toward one thing or another. You are looking for that ultimate game that has amalgamated the components together beautifully for story development and music and gameplay and visuals. Um, did I misinterpret that? No, I, I tend to look at things in a, in a holistic fashion. I think that trying to break them apart too much um, leads to big problems. Um, I'm actually working on a piece right now for the new BitCreature website about how if you break down certain extremely popular, both critically and in sales games like um, Grand Theft Auto series or Mass Effect, those really don't make a whole lot of sense like in, as individual components. They're kind of bad in a lot of ways. <laughs> but when you put all those things together, something about that combination makes them really good and just like get into your brain and not get out of that. Right, that, that there's some sort of magic sweet spot that allows the, the components of that game to work together in a way it wouldn't have otherwise. Right. And so, like, I mean, I can go into certain components of a story, like I did a piece on Diablo 3's story just not working, but that still included how Diablo 3's story didn't work in combination with the rest of the game. Right. Right, and all the the fancy 80s um, color combinations that both you and I seem to be coming across (laughs) (laughs) as we're playing. What were your... Uh, what were your avatar choices for Diablo 3? What were you working on? I actually didn't like any of the Diablo 3 avatar choices when I was presented with them until I found the female barbarian. And she, actually, she actually had hips. Yeah. Which is yes. like the first human female mm-hmm. with hips that is um, anything but a very strange, like, at the end of the slider choice in a game. Right, right. Yeah, um, not an exaggeration. Then, and then I also ended up playing a fair amount of the female, um, the one with the bow, Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter, yeah. But I, not necessarily because of the avatar, but because I created one of each, uh, mm-hmm. one of each class, some male, some female, and that one I liked a lot. So yeah, I stuck with that. Well, I'm trying to uh, probe you around the questions about the things that you like in games because I'm I'm trying to help set up Regina to qualify you <laughs> and which gamer type that you are. And you're for me at least, and I'm not as familiar with it since Regina created it, but um, I'm having a hard time pegging you. But I'm, I'm part of me is beginning to think that I've heard you mention the word story several times. And I'm wondering how important of a component that is for you. I remember um, someone someone tweeted once we were asking about gameplay and versus um, 
Yeah, sort of the, the trifecta gameplay versus uh, story versus artwork. Wh- which one are you more likely to sacrifice? Right. And playing? someone said, well, usually, you know, you only get one or the other and you, you settle. Mm-hmm. And which I thought was okay. The, 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 you know, I don't know who, what po- developer gaming community talked you into that. But <laughs> <laughs> don't ever settle. But is there one of those three that's more important? I mean, I think this goes along with how I try to look at them as in a sort of holistic fashion. One of the issues I have with the way that people talk about game stories is that they tend to compare them to good or bad storytelling in other media yeah um and game stories look bad but like a movie story will look bad if compared to a novel right um uh, if you're making a movie out of a novel you have to sacrifice a lot because they just don't fit the running time or the the narration is going to have a totally different effect if the movie uses a narrator or not then you get then you start missing out on the word choice or that sort of thing. And you have to compensate through visuals that match the word choice or match the feel. But when you make it a visual, you have to... um, Try to carry the essence of the book in the visual representation. Right, but you also can occasionally like reify or standardize or whatever, something that might not be quite as... Um, solidified in the Mm -hmm. book like um, the first episode of the Game of Thrones series includes a an accurate according to the words in the book depiction of a Dothraki wedding and the Dothraki are basically Mongol type horse warriors and this wedding is basically just like oh my god racial othering all over the place (laughs) yeah it's pretty disturbing (laughs) and it's 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 probably less violent or gritty than it is in the books but in the books you don't have to say oh my god these are the only non-white people in the entire series and they're so horrible right um in the book you can like think of the dothraki as you know uh european style horse warriors or you know you you don't have to necessarily more, say these are the right. only non-whites. Well, when, when you're creating the visual in your head, you have more more leeway with how you're going to create that visual, and that's not how it works when you translate anything into a visual medium like a movie. Right. Then you so, get their image of what they're thinking of. So so in terms of video games, this, this actually is all relevant. <laughs> I believe uh, it. <laughs> in, in terms of video games, what you have is um, a set of concepts of what makes for good or bad storytelling that are, are applied through much shorter media generally. I mean, there are some TV shows that can last longer than video games, mm-hmm. but um, generally speaking, like a Lord of the Rings series, which is about as epic as movies get, is, I think, like 11 hours with all the extended editions, and that's a short video game. That's an Uncharted 2 or a Prince of Persia or whatever. Right. So you have all these different ideas of what makes for a good set of movies or a good set of books or good individual movies or books or TV shows. And to trying to apply that, those terms for stories to video games just doesn't work at all. Like, I can sit down and describe all the ways that the Mass Effect story doesn't work. Like, Mass Effect 2 is just a total mess of basically video game contrivances strung together to look like a story. But... 
when I play the game itself, I'm not sitting there thinking, this is so bad. I'm thinking, this is working for me in the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would, and there are lots and lots of people who think that the story of Mass Effect is one of the best parts of the game. And hmm. they play the game for the characters. They play the game to find out what happens. They also seem to enjoy the mechanics to some extent, but um, the mechanics are there as a kind of smooth way to get to the next part of the story and create tension within the story. Mm-hmm. So then you have games like Skyrim or Far Cry 2 or Crusader Kings 2, which basically have only the vaguest outlines of a story, but by via the emergent gameplay that you find where you know you take a dragon and you're running away from the dragon and it runs into a giant and all of a sudden the giants start fighting the dragon and they kill the dragon for you. <laughs> like this is an amazing experience. This is a great story and it's not something that's written within the game. It's something that the game allows you to create accomplish. Right. So I could sit down and say that Skyrim has a bad story, but Skyrim makes for great stories. Right. Well, that's interesting. That's a that's a concept I haven't really thought about. Um, well, I, I I've thought about it a little bit with when I when I just discovered the role players and the people who go in and create their own characters and then you know find role playing guilds or whatnot and play them out online. And it's it's very they're very conscious of the fact that they're creating their own stories as they play. Like you said, the gameplay sort of supports them. You know, them making their own stories, and there really is a distinct difference between that experience and then the story of the game. Yeah, I hadn't really compared those two as like really different ways to approach the story. Um, I mean, the the way that the game writers usually discuss this is emergent versus embedded narrative, Mm -hmm. but you can get. Um, emergent narrative are things where the game systems combine to create interesting things like Skyrim has, right. where embedded in narrative are the, all the cutscenes in the Mass Effect. Right. Um, but both of those are they, they trigger the same kind of good story feeling even though they don't have what we would conventionally describe as a good story. Right. So it's, it's really the, the interconnection of all those things and um, I think that if you have a game that has a bad story like it doesn't talk to you at all. It's just kind of a bunch of cool stuff that happens. Like that can still be a good story for that game. Right, right. Um, uh, just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was trying to think of an example, but you well. can go ahead. <laughs> while, I, while I try and figure that out. Well, we're talking to Rowan Kaiser, who's the staff writer for the AV Club and uh, gaming historian, really. Um, and I was thinking about a question I was going to ask you too about the uh, totally went totally went blank <laughs> the story. I should, I, yeah, I should just keep my jaws wired when <laughs> my brain my brain shuts off. My mouth doesn't work either. <laughs> well, I was thinking of examples of um, stories that have have or haven't worked, and you already talked about Diablo three, and I, I remember really wanting to engage in the story for that and and having been in, in anticipation of the game coming out for so long and being so disappointed by <sighs> everything <laughs> associated with the the way the story played out in that game it, it was so much better when i got to the nightmare mode and was able to just start skipping the cutscenes. <laughs> like I, when, when i could just press escape through all the people talking yeah. the game was delightful <laughs> Well, and I've had, I've been trying um, 
Star Wars out, and I, I tried it briefly during a free trial, and now that it's free, free to play to, to level 15, I've gone back in and tried it again. And when I first played it, I was so frustrated with how long it took to go through all those scenes and listen to all these people talking and then make my decisions and you know all these kinds of things. So the first time I played it, I was very short-tempered with the whole... And, and that's the whole structure of that game. And then I went back in the second time knowing that, okay, this is what I'm getting into and this is what this process is going to look like. And I'm finding I went in with a mindful sort of story of my own to create for my avatar that I was playing, deciding that, you know, I was playing Sith as, um, you know, my friends who I'm playing with are playing um, playing that. So I was playing with them and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to make her as bitchy as I possibly can. Like, whatever option to take that she has the most attitude, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to take all dark side choices and all this. I'm just going to go full force with this. And I found that when I made those decisions about how my story was going to unfold for that character, I was much more engaged and much more patient with the everybody needs to talk to everybody in these long sort of cut scenes where you have to make these decisions in the end. So... Just on a personal note, that was sort of how I engaged that 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 particular story. And then when you you're going back now and you're not having that? No, that's the experience I'm having now that I've gone back to it. Oh, what what was it the first time? I just you... went, I could I had no patience. I wanted to okay. just flip through all of the cutscenes and just not pay attention to any of it. And you know, I was just like, what is taking so long? <laughs> Why do we keep having to have these experiences? But I had never played an, an MMO that had that much sort of story depth in it before. Because you know, in WoW, you just you know, I hardly ever read quests in WoW. I don't know any of the lore of the stories in WoW because that's, you know, I never played it that way. Um, you never played Warcraft 3? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. That, I actually really like the story of Warcraft 3, so having the characters in World of Warcraft who kind of fit within that that world was pretty exciting to me. But then the total lack of depth because you have static massively multiplayer role-playing games is annoying yes Um, i'm finding that more now that i'm more open to to the stories and the depth of the gaming than i was when when i first started playing world of warcraft it was the first mmo i never played so i had never even played in an environment before with other people so it you know was completely different on so many different fronts yeah um i think that the the old republic tries to fix the idea that you can't have a story within a static world, but mm-hmm. it fails. <laughs> like I, I think it's the the demonstration that no matter how hard you try, you cannot have a, a dynamic story within the static world that yeah. those World of Warcraft slash EverQuest type of games have. Have yeah yeah. It's def- it's definitely got to be an extremely difficult task to do because if you've got a game like Mass Effect, where you're actually giving the player options to determine the either the life and death of other characters in the game, depending on you know the types of choices that they make, to a certain degree, choosing the plot a, a little. It, there's only so much story you're going to be able to write in without it obviously looking like a. Uh, point A to point B storyline. And I think, uh, to me, the Mass Effect the, is the first game I played where I thought I was attached to a story, but I was actually attached to characters. And I think that may have 
done a substitution for the story that was there because I tend to not really care that much about the story, but I cared about the people. Um, I didn't want Caden to die. I didn't want Jack to die. I just uh, was playing through it again today, and I just get so upset when Morden dies. But that's not the story. It's the people. It's a character. Well, I, mean, I think that stories are things that happen to characters. That's mm-hmm. typically how I define it. But if you're talking about like the overarching Reaper invasion story, then yes, the, that's not the interesting aspect of the, the yeah. narrative of that game. Definitely. Yeah. Have you so gotten do, to the end you- yet? No, um, <laughs> that's a whole long story. My PlayStation crashed and I lost my uh, femship. And so I lost all my progress in Mass Effect 2. I had imported to Mass Effect 3 and I lost all of it. So now I'm playing a, a male ship and I, he's just charging through the game. I just I just <laughs> want to finish the game now. Um, and the cutscenes are are slightly annoying because it's like I made the decision before I just want to fight the guys and get beyond 50% done <laughs> so Regina are you are, do you think you can categorize the type of player that Rowan is uh, I'm not sure um, I'm trying to listen for all my all my cues all the things I listened for in the in the interviews when I did them originally and um, I think I'm coming back to mastery yeah, I think for the I think for the most part, it, it it's definitely not role playing, and there's not except that it is. <laughs> <laughs> but here, let let me confuse you. <laughs> that's hey, that's exactly. That's okay, what we're I'm already. Like. I'm already confused. Oh, <laughs> um, when I play a massively multiplayer game where you get all kinds of different new stuff, where you get cool. Cool new items and stuff. I will take pictures of my characters every time they start looking significantly different than the last time. (laughs) Nice. I do that, too. I have many pictures of uh, my World of Warcraft Warlock. Yeah, World of Warcraft, I did it a lot. Mm -hmm. I did it. I tried to do it in the Old Republic, although I got bored of it earlier. (laughs) Um, And then I started getting ugly items. Yeah, Uh, that doesn't help either. (laughs) uh, Diablo 3, I should have done it because the paper dolls in that are super cool. They are super cool, yep. um, I didn't do it all that much, although I did write an article about that. And Mm -hmm. um, that's certainly not a mastery thing. No. No. Well, Uh, it is to a certain degree, though. It can be because if it's trophies, if that's part of what is being demonstrated by taking the pictures of. of No, it's it's aesthetics. I mean, occasionally it's trophies. Like, I get a a cool cool thing that is also a very good thing. Right, Um, right. And the the items that I chose weren't necessarily because they looked cool. Right. They were because they were the best items for me at the time. Although I did have one of those um, things in World of Warcraft where it would change your clothes when you went into town. And I turned my orc warrior into like an American Gothic with a big floppy hat and a a pitchfork (laughs) that were, I mean, those, that was purely aesthetic. There was, those were like gray and white items. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I knew, I knew someone who played World of Warcraft and took um, the epic level sword he had and, and to use the transmogrification to change it into a training sword. So it, it looked like a wood Cute <laughs> one sword that he was carrying around, and somebody and you know raid was like, "Why? Why are you running around with a stick?" You know, but that was what he was going for. 
I, I played before mm-hmm. you had the option to do that, before you could die right. or anything. It was just the, the items they gave you looked yeah. like the way that they had them. Yeah, well, I, and I had a staff um, in World of Warcraft that had an, a rolling eyeball on the end of it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I took many, many pictures of that one because I kept trying to get the eye in different angles. <laughs> oh, I, I also tried to get a good range of mini pets. I wasn't trying to collect them all, but I was trying to at least find some of the more interesting ones. Hmm. The one that I desperately wanted was the panda that came with the World of Warcraft like gold edition or right. whatever, the collector's edition yep. they put out when they released it. Mm-hmm. But hmm. obviously I didn't have that because that would have cost significantly more money for me to get. Right. <laughs> so, you, so you identify most with a role player? I... Looking don't know that text. I would say most, okay. but I would say that it's a component. It's, reading through it, it was probably like ten percent self, fifty percent mastery, forty percent role play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that sounds that sounds about right, actually. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when I you know you write a dissertation, you're writing in a bubble, and so I, I you know I hadn't even thought about considering that somebody could be all three <laughs> until I put them out on the website and we started doing the podcast and people are like, well, I'm a little bit of all of them. And I'm like, oh, well, of course that naturally happens. <laughs> yeah. The, the self is the least like me, except that I tend to have the same sort of personality regardless mm-hmm. of where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, the stuff that you had about how I would talk about, or they would talk about their life and their social stuff. Like, right. Like, if you have me in a guild, you're probably going to get a roughly similar feed as you would if you had me on Twitter. Um, but other than that, no, I, I don't like use I to describe my character all that often unless it's, you know, just a more convenient shorthand. Right. Uh, like I will say my dwarf in Dragon Age or my shepherd. Right. I do the same thing. I say my warlock, but I don't. I'm, I'm sort of half and half um, self and mastery, but I'm starting to employ more role-playing parts because I keep talking to people who do it and it sounded like so much fun. I'm like, oh, let's play with this. One of the things I noticed in both um, World of Warcraft and the Old Republic was that I tended to like the role-play servers more. Mm. Um, And that's possibly because the people on them were just more interested in the game itself and were more interested in using language to describe how they were interacting with the game. Mm. I didn't do a whole lot of role-playing myself, though I would kind of do it casually. Right. Um, or, you know, for funnies. It, it was never the main driving force, but I did kind of prefer those servers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have, I've only played it on a, a PvE uh, server, so I don't... Actually, I should look up some of the people that I talk to who I know are playing it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually started on World of Warcraft on a role-playing PvP server because it had the most even horde to alliance ratio. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that sort of, like, fairness. Yeah, that sort of, yeah, in the, the game environment as you are in it. I think that's that's something that I have that I'm not sure fits in your in your categorization, an idea that there should be a sort of balance in fairness. Mm-hmm. Um that can occasionally like work against me. Like uh, it's not a mastery sort of exploitation thing, but right. I'd say trying to ensure that if I succeed, it's on the proper level. Right, right, and that you're. Oh, I can't even think of how I'm trying to say this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know because I'm I'm stuck with the the wonderful phrasing mastery exploitation. I love that. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we've yeah. seen a lot of that, and especially in our last episode, our last full episode when we talked to Melissa and uh, Toria, and she was the Melissa was the um, mastery player that we had, the hardcore player, and that was very much a thing for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like I don't like achievements. Mm-hmm. Like I might if I'm close to one, or if I'm close to getting a complete set of them, that I might make the attempt for them, but mm-hmm. I don't really like the way that they encourage me to play the game in a certain way. Although I do mm-hmm. want to be good at the games, I don't necessarily find those to be an acknowledgement of yeah. whether I'm good or not. Well, they, they can be so arbitrary. I was working for almost a year for the, um, the Violet Protodrake in World of Warcraft that you have to do all of the holiday achievements for. Oh, God. <laughs> and I got to literally the last ones I needed to do for Children's Week, which was in April, I think. And everything that I read online was like, these are the worst. You know, you have tons of PvP you have to do, and you have to take like a little kid that doesn't get killed through these PvP arenas, and people will just be trolls, and they'll kill the kid because they know you're going for the achievement, and you're trying to get the Drake. And as soon as I started reading that, I'm like, oh my god, I'm done. This, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Yeah, when when you get to that point where like it's deliberately interfering with your enjoyment of the game, exactly. Yeah, when you, when you don't get the pleasure, I I loved you know getting the achievements for completing you know all of the um, instances and going through dungeons and all that stuff. I love doing all that because that was or, exploring the game and, and learning the game. Yeah, like the, the you can have them where they encourage you to mm-hmm. learn more about the game. Like the the way that it was introduced. Like I said, I stopped playing World of Warcraft before this this mm-hmm. happened. I yeah. stopped in the first expansion. Lucky you. <laughs> I don't know about that. There are aspects that seem like they might have been good, yeah, and aspects that seem like they were terrible. Yeah, there. I mean, it's. I think it. Yeah, I think it's. It's. It's always a little bit of both of those. <laughs> um, but like the ones that they talked about, like filling in every corner of the map. Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful to encourage people to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and but it also became different um, in Cataclysm um, when you could fly over all of the, you know, originally yeah. you could only fly in the expansion areas, and then once you could fly over all of them, then it was a different thing than literally, like, getting on your horse or your mount and, and running the actual, you know, areas, I thought. It had a little bit more depth to it than when you're just flying over everybody. Because <laughs> I know, I, fl- I flew over many maps. <laughs> well, I'm going to segue us on, because we've, we've actually touched on it several times, because we've already mentioned trolling and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. With your extensive online game gaming, Rowan, would you say that there are any differences between male and female gamers? Well, I'm not sure I would say it's that extensive. I think we've covered most of it. <laughs> like I played, I played Team Fortress a bunch, and I played uh, World of Warcraft a bunch, and some some of the Old Republic. But I'm not. I'm usually a single player. But um, generally, what I have noticed is that. Female gamers tend to be more intentional about it. Mm. Like they have thought about why this is something that they're wanting to do. And I think there's a a level of maturity that comes with that that you don't necessarily get from male gamers who this is just kind of a, a thing, a part of their lives. They're there that's just like, you know, watching sports or just like um, going out with their friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I have noticed that um, it tends to be easier to carry on conversations with women who are gamers. Online or offline? 
it's all kind of online, but yeah, oh, okay. in, in, both in game and outside of games. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I, on my Twitter feed of um, game people, it's probably significantly more um, female females percentage wise than a random selection of of gamers and game writers would be. Mm-hmm. But I think part of that is because I think the the sort of deliberateness with which women choose to be within this culture that doesn't necessarily always accept them mm-hmm. um, uh, encourages being able to talk about it from, from a more interesting perspective. Is it the demographic of the men that are attracted to the game? Because I've, my experience is that the, the men come from all age groups. And so it's not like that we're talking about older women and young boys, you know, 14, 15-year-olds playing the games. I mean, I don't think that the, the male group is slanted demographically. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, you would see similar things with older men who play games, like, who have decided to move past the idea that this is something for kids and perhaps we're moving past that idea from the very beginning, mm-hmm. like the, the men who are in their uh, late 40s and older now, um, you know, they didn't grow up with this. This was something that they decided to do, or it might, they might have grown up with it in the arcade, but turning right. it into a career sort of thing in the mid-80s was something that I'm sure they got a lot of... Uh, a lot of crap for fun. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of flack for <laughs> spending hours at the arcade and quarters, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, you, you write about video games for a living. Oh. Why are you just t- talking to kids all day? <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, my, my grandma once told me that she was surprised that I was being able to make money off this because it was, you know, a hobby for children. Right, right. Uh, and I have a fairly cool grandma, but she's not exactly high tech. Yeah. I, you know, I go through the same thing with my mom, who still it still mystifies her that I can spend hours, you know, gaming and and now hours talking about it and writing about it. You know, it's still when I tell my students when I'm teaching that you know I wrote my dissertation about women video gamers, they're just like, "What? You can do that?" <laughs> and I'm not the first. It's not even you know it's not even particularly novel at this point, but it's still it's still a new sort of thing. Oh, you can do this. Yeah. Uh, well, that's also kind of an academia thing that mm. happens a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, adding in the video games thing gives it a, a different dimension. Yeah, definitely. We've talked about the trolling a little bit in the arenas of people just going in and just trying to crash your party and, and ruin your experience. But have you seen a particular type of trolling or uh, misbehavior toward female gamers more than male gamers or have you seen that at all oh there there definitely is um like i remember when i was in my guild in world of warcraft uh, this isn't even trolling but this is decidedly different different behavior like one of the one of the guild co-founders and leaders was extremely I don't know, over polite, over nice to any of the women in the guild Mm. um, to a point that was, I guess it creeped some of them out. And (laughs) like, I I kind of had dropped off wow. And then my guild collapsed like three months later. Mm. Um, And so this guy who had been one of the co-founders of the guild and seemed to be a perfectly nice guy in interactions with me and was one of the the main recruiters and, um, you know, happy personalities involved. Uh, 
there were a lot of people who were very upset with the way that he tended to give preference to women in a way that was not always even comfortable for the women that he was doing that with. Mm, interesting. Um, so that's like a, a less clear example of um, how women are treated differently within games. And then there are more conventional trollings like the, the you know, tits or get the fuck out meme. Or, right. Right. I don't know, just the way that people instantly change their behavior when they think that someone is female versus male. Um, I should perhaps mention that I didn't mention my gender at all and even perhaps encouraged being considered a female when I was playing my main World of Warcraft character who was a female. I was just going to ask, was a female avatar, so people were assuming that... So I I got a little bit of that, but Mm. I wasn't... I also wasn't exactly going crazy with, you know, hi, I'm a, I'm a girl in this <laughs> game. Here, pay attention to me. But right. I, if someone wanted to assume that, I wasn't sitting there dissuading them. Yeah. So, I actually um, I, I had a story about that in the, a woman who said that her, she and her boyfriend used to play together, and he played female avatars. And they had this whole thing where um, he said, you know, your big sister will come help you kind of deal thing. And then they were playing with a random person that they had met. And he, you know, private messaged her and said, okay, don't tell this other person that I'm a guy. I want him to think that I'm a girl. And he was actively, you know, hitting on her boyfriend as they were playing. It was just, it was really interesting to see that there, there are people who sort of do kind of mold and manipulate gender like that in in the game and I don't know what his intention was in it it was just a story that she had shared with me but yeah was there any particular reason why you didn't reveal that you were a male character playing a female I don't know I thought it was fun (laughs) no that's fine I just yeah yeah, I was just curious Um, I mean I think there is a a sort of internal gender bending amusement to the process and I know that some people have written about like how they have I don't know, explored their sexuality as sort of a, a dirty way of thinking of it. Mm-hmm. Or, or that's a term that's associated with sort of dirtiness. Right. But um, they, they have done that sort of thing via different female characters and avatars in video games. Right. Or some uh, people who I knew who've done it to, you know, for the, the benefits of somebody coming in and giving you things and being more likely to get help and things like that. Yeah, there is a little bit of that, but it's not necessarily uh, not necessarily what how I've seen it described. Mm-hmm. Kind, just kind of like in the same way that people do drag in mm-hmm. real life or in meat space. Right. Uh, it's sort of a video game drag that's easier to do and has some of the same benefits and mm-hmm. issues. And and you know one of the things that Judith Butler talks about in um, Gender Trouble is how drag uh, drink. What was that? Oh. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> Judith Butler drinking game. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, then you don't read my dissertation. Because <laughs> you'll be drunk before you get through the first chapter. Um, <laughs> she talks about how um, drag brings the the issues of gender to light because it's, a, it's one of those places where, you know, people are pointing at exactly what it is that makes a gender a gender. Then we can sort of use uh, gaming in a, along the same lines. It can be effective in that way, although it can also be a little destructive on right. the off chance that, say, someone thinks that you are a woman and gets a crush on you, which 
may have happened to me. I'm not entirely certain, but <laughs> someone that I played with a lot just like stopped playing when I started raiding and started using my voice, uh. which is um, not terribly female. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had always kind of wondered if that might have been disappointment on his end. Mm-hmm. It could, could have been, could very well have been. I, I, a participant said that that when somebody found out she was really a woman, you know, he was like, "But I swore in front of you. I can't. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do that in front of a girl." And she's like, "It's okay, really. I swore too. Remember?" <laughs> what kind of reactions, if any, did did the other guild members or other players have when somebody was acting trollish toward a female character? Did you see anybody coming to the defense or calling them out, or did everybody kind of just back up and leave those two on their own? Um, I didn't really see a whole lot of that directly within my guild. Um, I do remember there was one point when one of the main guild officers posted in the forums about how people within the guild should stop using the term rape in such a dismissive or... Mm -hmm. uh, Whatever, how it's usually used in games and right. posted a big thing from like a rape counselor and discussed that sort of thing and it, it was generally a, a concept that I think the guild was pretty okay with like there was one guy who tended to use it regularly um, in the sort of casual way that uh, we were trying to avoid but it was fairly it was fairly mature and friendly for the most part in, in that sort of way and I would say that it was probably a quarter female. Hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good numbers. Um, although in World of Warcraft, I think the the general percentage is a little bit higher, but in yeah. raid guilds, I'm sure it's much, much lower. Yeah. Well, Ron, do you have any other comments, questions, or ideas, or anything that we didn't touch on today? Um, I mean, probably, but... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that springs specifically to mind, though. All right, great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank yeah, you thank so you much so much for coming on and talking to us. All right, thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for taking time out to chat with us. Our listeners can follow you on your blog, renaissancegamer.blogspot.com, and you do write reviews for avclub.com. Is there any other contact information or anything else uh, you would like to leave with the listeners in case they want to follow you or learn more about your work? Um, the blog is not terribly active anymore. Um, so oh, okay. My, my Twitter handle, at Rowan Kaiser, is probably the best way to find it. I should go back and like add some of the favorite things that I've written. Every Friday, I publish a column on role-playing games at Joystick. Okay. Oh, awesome. Uh, so that's, that's my most regular game writing place. Well, we'd love to hear from our listeners to chime in about what we've discussed today. You can send your feedback to us through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or on the website at gameongirl.com. You can email Regina at gameongirl.com or find us on Facebook at Game on Girl Podcast. Girl. I'm Regina here with my co-host Rhonda. This week's Twitter question was, what compromises do you make when you can't design your own avatar? Does it impact how you engage with a game? Well, pretty much everyone responded that it depended on the game, which to me says 
yes, it matters. So when it does matter and it's not there, then what? Right. Daniel Gentleman at ThoughtFix said, some games don't need an avatar, Limbo and Amnesia, for example. And some absolutely require one, like WoW and The Sims. Without a choice, I suppose I'd just have to live with it, unless the personality just annoys me. Hashtag Duke Nukem forever. Now, I assume what he was saying there <laughs> is that the character in Duke Nukem forever annoyed him. Yes, I uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had characters in games that have been so annoying that you couldn't play them or it made the gameplay unenjoyable? Well, I had that experience of Duke Nukem. <laughs> oh, yeah. As a, I don't know if you've ever played that, but... You know, and I could take it as being kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, hyper-masculinity on some levels. But on others, I was just like, oh, God, this is really annoying. <laughs> now, was it, his, was it his voice or was it the things he said? Much more. It was more the things he says, yes. Oh, okay. You know, uh, hail to the chief, baby, is, uh, is you know, one ah. of his sort of catchphrases. <laughs> and, you know, I can't, I can't remember all of them. I didn't play it long enough to, uh, to remember some of how it went. Um, and I could, I could laugh it off sometimes, but, you know, sometimes I will admit to being a little sensitive, maybe hypersensitive to um, patriarchal masculinities in games. And it was just one of those examples where I couldn't, I couldn't really get into it because, because of yeah. the character. I have the same feelings, though, even, even though it's not sort of set characters. I have the same feelings about Grand Theft Auto as well and sort of the, oh, okay. you know, the ethics of that, that as a game. Yeah, I think the um, the only one I could think of is a really old PC game, and I think it's still around, um, Jewel Quest. Oh, yeah. And it has um, a character in it, which is basically just kind of a narrator called the Oracle. Mm-hmm. And I remember John and I were playing the game together, and the, the things the Oracle had said were just ridiculous. Ridiculous, and it it was so cheesy and so amusing. We we began calling it Jarhead, <laughs> and luckily the puzzles and different things in the game were were really enjoyable. But it it did not take long before we were uh, we just fed up. Couldn't stand the guy. We yeah. wanted to turn him off. Yeah, he didn't yeah. add much to the game. Yeah, yeah. I can I can I can see that. Um, I loved in in in. Contrast to that, one of the one of the Zork games that I played, you know, Zork started out as the text-based games, and then later they had a series of um, visual games too. And um, it was Zork Grand Inquisitor was one of my favorites, and they had an actor who played sort of the Grand Inquisitor, and you know there would be TVs set up where you would see him giving his speeches, and you'd go up and walk and be able to watch them. And uh, one of his lines was, um, "Who is the boss of you?" Me, I am the boss of you. <laughs> it always cracked me up to a point where I'm like, God, oh, this character could be so obnoxious, but the way they're handling it just makes me, you know, makes me giggle. So it made it really sort of enjoyable. So there, there's, you know, there's some play there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice when they, the developers actually understand how important the audio and dialogue are exactly. and actually do it tongue-in-cheek it's really yeah exactly it's, it adds a lot it's of very enjoyable for a player when they encounter that exactly exactly well, so what other comments did we get on this one 
this might be a good time for me to mention that um, I think I've said it before that my English, even though it's my first language, <laughs> uh, is is not very good, and I have been uh, called out for mispronouncing some of our listeners' names. And I want to go ahead and apologize ahead of time. We've got a great comment from a listener on Twitter. But I have no idea how to pronounce her name. So if she'll forgive me ahead of time, all of you, forgive me ahead of time. <laughs> um, Sheen Mijay, and she's at Ebby0110. She explains how it's a game changer when you don't get a choice for avatars. She says, it depends on the game, really, but I'm a little less invested in the character when I don't create them. Now, see, it sounds like to me that with less investment in the character, that the character either becomes more expendable or your gameplay tends tends to take more risk. Is that kind of the way it sounds to you? I think that's very true as well. I think you you know that the people don't invest in their in their characters as much when they don't have the the customization options for a game. Um, they don't um, if they are self gamer, they they would have a harder time sort of putting themselves in that position of playing you know whoever the character is. Um, and so I, I think if I would very much or I have very much felt less connection and less um, regard for my characters when I know I'm not I'm not working on who they are or uh, sort of being able to to define who who the character is as I'm playing them. If it's just a static character, then I'm not as likely to be concerned or worried or wanting to, to engage yeah. and keep them going. I really, I'm actually finding a new type of enjoyment playing my male Shep in Mass Effect 3 because that's that's the approach I'm taking with him is, is just like everything goes. I'm taking every risk and I, I really, in the situation, I'm trying new things and experimenting with his skills, which I was so much more cautious with my Fem Shep, mm-hmm. who I was much more attached to. Right. Right, but I'm I'm finding a different kind of enjoyment in that game in that type of gameplay. Right, yeah, and I felt that way too when um um I when I play the uh, sire shot the sire yeah no oh god uh, what in in uh, Star Wars no in in Dungeon Defenders when I when I play the tanking character um oh man and it's just not even coming to me um it's not no Shire is a place. Squire, Squire. There we go. <laughs> See, I knew the word was in my head somewhere. Yeah, I it was there. Filter through uh, everything else. The Squire. When I play that, I I love. I mean, he doesn't do great DPS, but he is so much fun just to run in the middle of a bunch of, you know, uh, bad guys and just start hacking away at them. <laughs> And well, I don't, you know, I don't feel any, you know, I, I've attached to him. I've since attached to him. But at first I was just like, ah, whatever, you know, here's this little kid and little boxers and I can just jump in and beat up the bad guys. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I don't know. I'm just finding it really. Yeah. I'm finding it really fun. Yeah. Yeah. But not not everybody responded this way. Not everyone seemed to, to think that it depended. Um, Alex W. at Chrono Slinger has a different attitude. He says... Not at all. As long as I can interact with the game world smoothly, I don't really care what my avatar looks like. While I may feel invested in the story, I don't feel like I'm ever someone like 
the character Snake. Right. Now, Alex sounds more like a mastery player is what I would call it. He's he's more concerned with the mechanics of the ga- interacting with the game and not actually taking on a persona of an avatar like a self or a role player. Right, right. Not not engaging with it on that personal level necessarily. Yeah, in fact, he he explains how he actually enjoys playing with other character types, other character um, personalities in the game. So right. he likes this this variety of interaction, right? And that and that that brings in sort of changes um, changes his experience of the game, and that's part of what he's looking for in terms of how he how he plays the game. Yeah, our our mastery players typically are um, very easy to spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they have very clear indications. And, and I, and, you know, and I think, I, I think one of the really interesting things about the way the player types are evolving as, as we're sort of continuing to interview people is to see the combinations of them. And then somebody had asked that on the website at one point, asking, you know, uh, if you could be all the all three or, or you know, a combination of. And you definitely could be. And it was just funny that it, it hadn't occurred to me when I was writing up the, the, the book, you know, that, oh, of course you could mix all three of them together. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see that that that's sort of showing itself more, sort of, sort of that, the, the, talk about identity being fluid, you know, especially identity online. And then you get on top of that, the fluidity in game. So we have sort of all these layers and all these, um, you know, sort of like when you drop a pebble in the water and you see all those rings come out. That's, oh, yeah. That's sort of what we're seeing evolve with, with the gamer types and with now that more people know about the gamer types that I, that I put together, we're seeing that sort of evolve out of there. And so I'm really interested to see what, what other rings we sort of get up from, from these inquiries. Yeah, it it wasn't it, it wasn't immediately apparent with Alex W because right. he mentioned a couple of key words in there that threw me because he used the word story. Right. And he said game world. Right. When I went back and looked at it, he specifically said interacting with right. the game world. Right. And I realized this is only 140 characters. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Alex, you're, this is so much analyzing to do on 140 characters. But the, he did say interacting with the game world, which to right. me says mastery. But when he used right. the word story, right. um, it, it sort of leans me to um, the slash role player type. Right, right. Well, and and I think that that's that's natural and sort of what we've seen. But but I'm thinking that another aspect of mastery is not necessarily the way that role players engage with story. So role players are looking at creating a new story or looking at creating their own story within the game. Mastery players, I believe, are looking for engagement from the story. Oh, Ex- I, okay, I see. Externally from, their, from themselves. They're not putting themselves in the story. They're right. not making their own story. That would be self and, and role play, right? Self, play, self players are putting themselves in the story. Role players are creating their own story. But I think that that need and that desire for a level of engagement from the story and immersion, I think, is part of mastery. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really does make sense that the, that the key words we've been noticing actually have meaning mm-hmm. in each gamer type. Right, 
yeah, the story exactly. has a meaning to self right. and role and mastery. Right. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you also did um, a poll on Facebook with this question and you gave our readers seven choices. If the avatar creation wasn't available, then pretty much what was the next important thing in the game to you as right. far as choices? And, and here are the seven choices. One was tactics, like um, characters based on their weapons or skills, story, gender, attractiveness. And we've had several of our, our listeners say, you know, no matter what, my tune's got to be attractive. Right. Uh, um, hair color. Um, it doesn't matter. A tune is a tune or other. And so how did this poll turn out when you when you ran it on Facebook? Well, th- this is a really interesting um, question to put up and to put up in this this um, this layout on on Twitter, because I, I allow, you know, I set it up so that people could add their own um, categories. And because I wasn't really sure, you know, this 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 whole question actually um, evolved out of an email that I got from Alex, who we just mentioned from Chronoslinger, who had who had sent me an email asking me, you know, how how do the player types work when you don't have an, an avatar uh, to select? And I, and I hadn't really considered that because, of course, the requirements for the dissertation research were you have to play a game where you create an avatar. So I came up with. Um, gender, you know, do you have to play your own gender? Does your character have to be attractive? I put hair color in there because, do you know why, Rhonda? Do you know why I put hair color as an option? <laughs> I, I don't, all of our interviewers mention it. Almost everybody talks about hair color. <laughs> and almost everybody wants to be a redhead. Yes. <laughs> and why wouldn't they? Well, of course. I think everybody would want to be of a redhead. Course. Even if they deny it, they really yes. do. Yes. And as someone who has dabbled <laughs> with red hair before, I would have to say that it is quite enjoyable to be a redhead. So I put hair color in there because of that. Um, and then does it, you know, does it not matter? And then I left it open. So, so the tactics in the story were options that other people added in. Oh, that and, is interesting. Yeah, that was really interesting for me because they were the ones that ended up getting the most votes. So yeah. we had eight people who said tactics were the most important um, and that they were choosing their characters over what would work best with how they play a game. Um, something, you know, in particular with like fighting games or things like that. Uh, and one of the games for that that came to mind for me is when I play Mario Kart. Um, I almost always pick um, um, Waluigi, I think it is, or Bowser, because they have a one car that's really stable and doesn't fall over really easily. Oh, yeah, okay. So I tend to want to play those. I have no attachment to those characters necessarily. Just I know they have the car that I won't, you know, launch me off the side of the rainbow or whatever right. <laughs> it is that we happen to be running. Um, and then story to be the other. Do they attach to their story, to their background and their character? So those were the, those were the two. Um, tactics got eight votes. Story got um, six votes. Gender got one and attractiveness got one. So, and then okay. hair color and doesn't matter. Didn't get any, didn't get any at all. Oh, so, wow. so it was a really interesting um, evolution to see, the way that was answered and responded that the ones that weren't the ones that I put up, see, proof positive that the doc doesn't know everything, (laughs) were the ones that that were the most um, um, impression-making. Yeah, and those kind of make sense to me, too, because I'm I'm sitting here trying to think of a game where I had the choice of, you know, between a female and a male character – I know that I almost always pick a female character, but I wonder if she were playing 
um, tactics or weapons that I didn't care for, if right. I would still end up playing or right. not. Well, when I when I play Mario Kart with a friend of mine who's a female gamer, she will all she only plays the female the female tunes on there. So she wants Princess Peach or the Baby Princess Peach or one of those, and they have the worst cars. I mean, they just there's huh. no good choices in either one of those. But that's my friend will only play those because they're the girl characters. Well, we really appreciate your feedback, and we love interacting with you through the Internet each week on Twitter and Facebook. We ask a new question. Give us your opinion, and we might share it on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl, and we use hashtag GOG chat. Or look for us on Facebook at Game on Girl Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Rowroom. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. You can also read my tech blog at DrillOnTheFrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Rowan Kaiser for joining us for today's episode. You can follow him on Twitter at Rowan Kaiser, which is R-O-W-A-N-K-A-I-S-E-R. Rowan writes for theabclub.com and joystick.com. I'll have links to some of his articles up on the post with this episode. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on the website, gameongirl.com. This podcast is recorded with Audacity, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on.